This evening, John Ankerberg will examine the evidence for some of the doctrines taught by the Roman Catholic Church. Tonight's topic, is there evidence that Jesus Christ established the office of Pope over his church? The Catholic Church claims that Jesus conferred on Peter and his successors supreme power in faith and morals over all the other apostles and over every Christian in the church. But is this true? This doctrine is supposedly based on Matthew 16, where it states, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth, it shall be bound also in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, it shall be loose also in heaven. But many Christians reject Roman Catholic interpretation. They point out that in the very passage appealed to, before Jesus spoke to Peter, he had asked his disciples who men were saying that he was. Peter replied, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus agreed with Peter's statement and used it to teach that he himself will be the rock, the foundation upon which the church will be built. For Jesus says, Thou art Peter, Petros, a small stone, and upon this Petra, great massive rock, referring to Peter's truthful declaration of Christ's deity, it is upon this truth that Jesus says he will build his church. Which of these interpretations best fits the scriptural record? What did Peter mean when he stated in his own epistle that Jesus was the chief cornerstone and all other Christians are living stones? Other questions surrounding the doctrine of the Pope are why are there no scripture verses that teach how the office of Pope is to be transmitted by Peter to his successors? Why is it that the Apostle Paul never mentions the office of Pope in any of his epistles when he teaches about the offices in the church? When Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom, doesn't scripture show that Jesus gave the same keys to the other apostles? Does scripture teach that the keys are a declaratory authority to announce the terms on which God will grant salvation, or as Roman Catholics teach, an absolute power to admit or exclude someone from heaven? Both sides admit that in the first chapters of Acts, Peter exercises the keys to the kingdom by declaring the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles as Jesus said he would. But then the other apostles declare the gospel and Peter drops from sight in the scriptural account. When Peter does reappear at the Council of Jerusalem, why is it that the apostle James leads the church and not Peter? Tonight you will hear both sides of this question. John's guests are Father Mitchell Pacwa, an ordained Roman Catholic priest. He has an earned Doctor of Philosophy degree and is currently Professor of Old Testament at Loyola University in Chicago. John's second guest is Dr. Walter Martin, director and founder of the Christian Research Institute in California. Please join us for this discussion. Welcome. Good evening. Tonight we're examining the claims and the authority of the specific doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. What is the evidence for their claims and their teachings? My first guest is an ordained Roman Catholic priest, Father Mitchell Pacwa, who is a member of the Society of Jesus, a Jesuit. He's earned a Doctor of Philosophy degree and is currently a professor of Old Testament at Loyola University in Chicago. My second guest is Dr. Walter Martin, and Dr. Martin is director and founder of the Christian Research Institute in California. And Walter is the author of many books, especially the classic book known by both Protestants and Catholics, The Kingdom of the Cults. Gentlemen, we're glad that you're here tonight. I'm reading from the New York Catechism, and I'd like to talk about the authority that uh, the Roman Catholic Church 
says that they have and has taught uh, in many of their documents. I'm reading from the New York Catechism, which says, The Pope takes the place of Jesus Christ on earth. By divine right, the Pope has supreme and full power in faith and morals over each and every pastor and his flock. He is the true vicar of Christ, the head of the entire church, the father and teacher of all Christians. He is the infallible ruler, the founder of dogmas, the author of and the judge of councils, the universal ruler of truth, the arbiter of the world, the supreme judge of heaven and earth, the judge of all, being judged by no one, God himself on earth. And this seems to rest on the basis uh, that was stated by uh, Cardinal Gibbons in his book, Faith of Our Fathers, the short one here. The Catholic Church teaches that our Lord conferred on St. Peter the first place of honor and jurisdiction in the government of his whole church, and that the same spiritual supremacy has always resided in the popes or bishops of Rome as being the successors of St. Peter. Consequently, to be true followers of Christ, all Christians, both among the clergy and laity, must be in communion with the See of Rome, where Peter rules in the person of his successors. The opposite way of saying this would be, if anyone says that the blessed apostle Peter was not constituted by Christ our Lord Prince of all the apostles and visible head of all the church militant, or that he, Peter, directly and immediately received from our Lord Jesus Christ a primacy of favor only and not one of true and proper jurisdiction, let him be anathema. Now, I know that most of the writings establishing Jesus, establishing Peter, go back to Matthew chapter 16. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to start with that tonight. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, is supposed to prove this doctrine. And I would like for you to tell us why you think that this doctrine is proved from this passage or from other verses. Let's start with that. Okay. The, the, the sense that the church developed in its understanding of that text over time was twofold mm -hmm. in the early church. Mm -hmm. On one hand, you know, as almost every Protestant you know, knows, there are two words here that you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. In the early church, the Greek fathers uh, and Western fathers alike both interpreted it in two ways. One, they said that the rock, Peter, is the person on which Jesus is building the church. And other times, even the same father of the church, like Augustine, for instance, taught that the Petra is his act of faith. Let me read the verse for the people at home so they know what we're talking sure. about. Verse 18, and I'm reading from the Catholic Bible, And I say to thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's, let's see. Yeah, that, that text there is one about Peter being called rock. Um, on one hand, even in the, in the early church, when they use that distinction between Petra and Petros, you know, it's explained in different ways that, you know, Petra, the noun, is feminine, and it was just masculinized when changing, translating Peter's name into Greek, okay? In, in Aramaic, there would be no difference, you know. It'd be ante kafe, al kafe dana, bane kahalati, okay, just plain Aramaic, huh? And 
there'd be no distinction in terminology. As a matter of fact, the place, have you been, I don't know if you've been to Israel, but the place where this takes place, Caesarea Philippi, is a perfect setting for this, sta this statement. Because behind the city is this solid rock cliff that goes on for approximately a mile in either direction. It's just enormous. And so there's also a visual image here. And so we see that this, we believe that this person and his act of faith, or you know, both, are the basis on which Jesus builds his church. And there's a principle that we see throughout the Gospels that what Jesus is, he makes his apostles especially, and the rest of us too. So that Jesus is the rock of our salvation, to be sure. But he makes Peter rock. Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. But in another commission to Peter, which you know, we, uh, scripture scholars um, of all, all different you know, brands and colors consider to be the, the Johannine version of the same setting apart of Peter, where he is called Shepherd. So Jesus the shepherd makes Peter the, the shepherd more because he loves, you know, wants to know anyway whether Peter loves Jesus more than all the rest. Okay, let me stop you there. And Dr. Martin, why don't you get into this? Well, what we're really talking about are differences that persist uh, since Vatican II between classic Roman Catholic theology and Protestant theology, Reformation theology. And um, what he's saying I'm well acquainted with, uh, as any scholar in the area would be. The problem that we have is that the statements you read before from Cardinal Gibbons and other statements which have been made indicate that it goes far beyond the concept of Peter's faith. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes to the actual individual, and I think uh, that, that you'd be the first to admit that. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, um, uh, in um, Boniface VIII's Unum Sanctum, mm -hmm. uh, which Cardinal Manning says, and I quote, is uh, beyond all doubt uh, an act ex cathedra, close quote. That's Manning, who's an authority, allegedly, on uh, papal decrees. And he says, quoting Unum Sanctum, quote, we declare, affirm, define, and pronounce it to be necessary to salvation for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Again, Pius IX, I alone, despite my unworthiness, am the successor of the apostles, following Gibbons, mm -hmm. Uh, the vicar of Jesus Christ, following the catechism, I alone have the mission to guide and direct the bark of Peter, successor of the apostles. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They who are with me are with the church. They who are not with me are out of the church. Close quote. Mm -hmm. Now, what disturbs the Protestant uh, at this particular juncture is that we are no longer talking about the faith of Peter. Peter is a little stone built up mm -hmm. into the tabernacle. He says so himself. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're dealing with now is a statement of the usurpation of the role of deity. And you mentioned before where what Christ was, he called the apostles. Mm -hmm. Well, Christ was God. The apostles were never called God. Right. And yet here in this particular statement that we read before, John read from Gibbon, uh, you have the Pope being called a God on earth. Mm -hmm. No, he's not a God on earth. He's a man. And he's a sinner in need of a savior, just like all of us. And so the principal idea of carrying on the idea of the faith of Peter in the church is one thing. But to argue for the supremacy of the man, when the man's um, predecessor, Peter, uh, if there's one person 
that should know what Jesus meant in Matthew 16. It's got to be Peter. And if you go to 1 Peter, uh, Peter chapter 2, specifically says, you are built, see, on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He said, we're all little stones built up into a spiritual tabernacle, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the church universal, the church invisible, but we're all part of the building. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, chief cornerstone. Now, you've admitted before, Christ is the rock, the foundation, the savior, and so forth. Great, if that's true, then why is it necessary to transfer titles that belong to Christ to the papacy, such as um, Holy Father? Now, calling you Father, or me Father, or somebody else Father, as a title, we both agree, is a title. But to say Holy Father, which is a title reserved uniquely for God himself, and to identify that with a man, to call him in the catechism a God on earth, uh, this goes in the Protestant mind far contrary to the scriptures than just the idea of Peter's faith. One of the things about the, even the title God on earth, okay, mm -hmm. as you know, in the so-called covenant code mm -hmm. in the book of Exodus, mm -hmm. judges in Israel are called God in Hebrew. They're called Elohim. Psalm 82, 6. No, not only, not only some, no, in, in Exodus itself. Yeah, no, but the, but, same, but, the same word, Elohim. Mm -hmm. and, and these, uh, or, yeah, that's right, another example of it. And there, you know, one of the things that, you know, I find that in, in Hebrew disturbing, you know, text, but again, it's scripture. And it's only would be applied to, to the Pope in his judge, in his role as a judge, you know, of various issues. Now, for sure, the Catholic Church, you know, looks upon the Pope you know, as a successor of Peter, not just his act of faith, but of the person. And that he has the authority of Peter that goes on from not just being rock, but as it also says, you know, here in the text, that I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you, singular, shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so that this person, you know, who then is also in John told to uh, feed the lambs and sheep, is here to, given an authority to loose and to bind in a singular way. Now the apostles are given the same authority of loosing and binding later on in Matthew 18 and also in John 20, especially in reference to forgiveness of sins. As you made a point a moment ago of the singular usage of, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. In Matthew 18, you have a parallel, well, it's a plural, mm -hmm. where That's he right. gives the That's disciples right. the right. power That's to right. bind and loose, which is the keys to the kingdom. And one of the important aspects of the Catholic teaching of the papacy is that the papacy cannot be seen apart from the college of the bishops. That he, the Pope, even for instance, the, there are two you know, statements by popes that claim for sure, claimed by them, not by Cardinal Manning, but claimed by the popes, to be infallible. Okay? The Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin, which I'm sure we'll get to later, and the Assumption into Heaven of the Blessed Virgin, which we'll also get to later. <laughs> no doubt. I think we better reel the tape back and get to the first one where he committed the error of begging the question and affirmed himself infallible in 1870, which the Universal Church never recognized. He said, I am the successor of Peter, I am the infallible teacher, and they said, why? And he said, because I say so. Thank you.
I think we better reel the tape back and get to the first one where he committed the error of begging the question and affirmed himself infallible in 1870, which the universal church never recognized. He said, I am the successor of Peter. I am the infallible teacher. And they said, why? And he said, because I say so. Well, at the same And that's exactly time, what happened. At the same time, that's not, a, that's not all that happened because cardinals so there themselves. Was more. Yeah, there's quite a bit more. Cardinals and other bishops came there, yeah. you know, craving, you know, Manning himself being mm -hmm. one of them. Yes, a I convert know. from Protestantism mm -hmm. who eventually got, was ordained, became uh, uh, the first cardinal of England after the restoration of the bishoprics there. The, the bishops have been not allowed to be in England, you know, up until uh, the early 19th century. Father Parker, can I, can I come back here? If we're going to talk about the keys of the kingdom, which we're, we're talking about, is no doubt Jesus said the keys to the kingdom, but also in, in Matthew you find that the Pharisees and the scribes had the keys to the kingdom. The other disciples are given the keys to the kingdom. I think what the Protestant side of the church is saying is that the, the definition of the keys of the kingdom has been overblown. And where do you get this, these fantastic claims of authority? Number one, to Peter, because then you'd have to justify it biblically as well as historically. And Protestants reading their Bible, a lot of people, including Catholics that I've got quotes here, read their Bible, they don't find Peter being supreme in the scripture text, the one we're reading, or the one in John. Why did Jesus three times say to Peter, do you love me? Mm -hmm. Because it goes back to the fact he denied him three times sure. when he was supposed to stand for him. Mm -hmm. Now, all the scriptures from the time that Jesus said, you are the rock, okay? From that point on, right immediately, Peter turned around and said something wrong, and Jesus accused him of being one that was used by Satan. Sure. Okay? You go on and... Peter affirms later on in Matthew that he's going to stand for Jesus. He will be there. All the rest will flee. And Jesus says, no, I'll tell you what, you're going to deny me three times. And he opposes Jesus and says, no. And then he goes ahead and he does it anyway. So instead of people seeing Peter as being supreme and the head of the church, Peter blows it. One of the things that, that, that I'm glad you brought that up, because um, as I started to say before, again, that supremacy of Peter among the bishops is only possible in the context of all the bishops, okay? But and we don't it, see it in the context of the New Testament of well, the well, apostles. Well, well, that's one of the things that, um, that we Catholics disagree on in terms of understanding the New Testament. First of all, I can't think of any text where the Pharisees are said to have the keys of the kingdom. Well, let me get one to you then. Matthew yeah. chapter 23 and mm -hmm. verse 13, you'll find that uh, the scribes and Pharisees exercise the same kind of power. But let me, we've only got about a minute left here, and uh, what we need to do in this week's program is when I talk about the fact of Peter being supreme among the apostles, I find that Paul opposed him to his face. Right, absolutely. Okay, and was he supreme there? Was he the head there? At the same time, sure he was. He was wrong. And that's one of the things about the papacy, uh, I think that you know, Protestants misunderstand in terms of infallibility. Not everything the Pope says is infallible but by any means. Okay. By any means. We've got just a few seconds. But in matters of faith and morals, he is. And he was immoral in his dealing with the Gentiles, and Paul rebuked him on a matter of faith and morals. In, there are only th uh, there's three conditions for the Pope's infallibility yep. in issues of faith and morals. And we'll have to talk about those three conditions when we come back. Okay, I appreciate that. We're going to look into this. Was Peter given the supremacy among the other apostles? We're going to look at the history as well as the scripture uh, concerning the early church next week, and so I hope that you'll join us. Good evening. Good evening. 
Tonight we're examining the claims uh, and the authority, the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And my first guest is an ordained Roman Catholic priest, Father Mitchell Pacwa, who is a member of the Society of Jesus, a Jesuit. He has an earned Doctor of Philosophy degree and is currently a professor uh, of Old Testament at Loyola University in Chicago. My second guest is Dr. Walter Martin, who is the director and founder of the Christian Research Institute in California. And uh, Walter is the author of many books, especially the classic book known by both Protestants and Catholics uh, called The Kingdom of the Cults. And gentlemen, we're glad that you're here tonight. I want to move on in our talking about the claims of the Roman Catholic Church concerning uh, this week the infallibility of the Pope. And let's actually take a look at this. And uh, reading from Vatican uh, Council, which met in Rome in 1870, they said, we teach and define that it is a dogma divinely revealed that the Roman pontiff, when he speaks ex cathedra, that is, when in discharge of the office of pastor and doctor of all Christians, by virtue of his supreme apostolic authority, he defines a doctrine regarding faith and morals to be held by the universal church, by the divine assistance promised him in blessed Peter, is possessed of that infallibility with which the divine redeemer willed that his church should be endowed for defining doctrines regarding faith and morals, and that therefore such definitions of the Roman pontiff of themselves and not by virtue of the consent of the church are irreformable. Now, we need to keep coming back for evidence. Uh, many in the Roman Catholic Church take it for granted that that's true, but there are others that do not. And Father Pacwa, I'd like you to comment about the fact of if Jesus gave the supremacy to uh, Peter, uh, how do you deal with Paul? Because let me give you a few facts about Paul in relationship to Peter. I'd like you to comment, if you would, please. Peter has no say in Paul's appointment. There are 13 epistles that Paul wrote, 2,023 2, verses. Peter only wrote two epistles and 166 verses. Mm -hmm. Paul mentioned Peter more than once, but he never mentioned him with any special title of honor, such as the vicar or pope, or above any of the other apostles. Paul did not mention the papacy when he referred to the offices of the church in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. Mm -hmm. Paul as an apostle claimed authority over the Roman church itself in Romans chapter 1, 5 through 6 and 16, 17. Uh, Paul claimed for himself that he was behind the very chiefest apostles in nothing, 2 Corinthians 12. And that uh, then specifically you have Paul rebuking Peter without any mention of Peter's supremacy in Galatians 2. Now, if Peter was the chief, it would seem that Paul would have acknowledged that in his epistles and would have acknowledged it in the respect he gave when there was a matter of doctrine on the table. Mm -hmm. We see none of that for Peter. First of all, you know, what you have in Paul and Peter's dispute in Galatians again, is not a dispute about some infallible statement by Peter. Okay, so it's, by his own, it's about his own practice okay. on something that already had been decided by the church. Now, Catholics do not say that we can't tell the Pope to live up to certain things in his own life. As a matter of fact, Dante, you know, when in, his, in his Inferno, mentions that a number of Popes are in hell for various reasons. And you know, remember you, no, said, you said that I didn't. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, why not say it? You know, I don't know that they're in hell. Dante knew. Um, so he says. And and the thing that you know the, the Pope's infallibility 
does not mean is that the Pope is right all the time. In no way does the Catholic Church even teach that. He's infallible only when he speaks ex cathedra in order to clearly speak infallibly. He has to say that explicitly that he's speaking infallibly. Secondly, it has to be to the whole church, not to one part or one individual of the church, but to everybody in the church. And thirdly, it has to be on the issue of faith and morals. He cannot infallibly say okay. that the stock market will Okay, you, you, con you continue to tell me about the fact of what he speaks. When I'm right. saying the word supreme seems to also mean more than just what he speaks. There ought to be the respect, there ought to be the dignity, the honor, the mention of the fact of his office by all the other apostles. And we see none of that. There's, it's silent, dead silence in the New Testament. I, well, right. Go ahead. Well, um, I don't, and again, I don't think that it is, it is not dead silent. Okay, again, even Paul, Would you Paul, show me he, where it is? Paul does not call him Simon Barjona, does he? What does he call him? Peter. Kephas. Peter. Peter. Kephas or Peter. And is that... Which is a title given him, which is rock, not his given name. And he doesn't refer to him as Simon, ever but always calls him by Kephas. And even in Corinthians, the, what he's dealing with is a specific problem of people having been divisive on account of Peter. And later on, in the next generation, about 35 years later, you're gonna see, well actually more than that from Corinthians, about 45 years later, we'll see that it'll be the Bishop of Rome, St. Clement I, who's the, the, the second after Peter and Paul, who will be correcting the same church because of division. They never learned. And so it's the Bishop of Rome that takes that authority in 95 AD, before the New Testament is finished being written. And he's the one that tells them, to, he sends legates over there to Corinth and says, you Corinthians, get united with your priests again. And he orders his legates not to come back home until they're united. So he takes that authority in the very next generation as the role of Peter to bring unity to the church. I want to quote Vatican II, John. Okay, come back to that. Vatican I, I mean. Come back to that in a flash, but uh, I'd like for you to put the other side of the fence. I said uh, that there was a hypothesis that uh, uh, Father Pacwa is using, namely that in referring to Peter, which we all agree is small rock, and that there's a differentiation between the other rock, there is something different. It's not referring to Peter because of the way it's written. All right, what would be another option that would seem to fit this evidence better from your point of view? Would you please explain that so we get it on the table anyway? I would take Augustine's position, All right. uh, a very great theologian, that Peter's confession of faith, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, is the foundation. Uh, and that it's not Peter. Cross-referencing at the first Peter chapter 2, Peter didn't understand it to refer to him. He put himself in with all the rest of the little stones built up into the spiritual house, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20 says, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. He quotes scripture, behold I lay in Zion, a cornerstone, a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him, not Peter, Christ will not be ashamed. That Peter was uh, a moving force, a chief apostle in the church, there's no doubt whatsoever, that his writings were authoritative and they were accepted as such. That he recommended Paul's writings as scripture, even calling it scripture, equating it with the Old Testament, is indicative of the fact that they agreed in their basic theology. Well, since they agreed in their basic theology, uh, 
the facts fit the hypotheses that the whole structure of the New Testament and the first five centuries following that historically did not give any supreme uh, role to the Bishop of Rome. Okay, now I, gotta, was, I want you to go on and, and let's get into a definition of the keys. Okay, Father Pak was defined how the Roman yeah. Catholic Church sees the yeah. keys and yeah. uh, would you give another uh, hypothesis for that? Yes, the alternative to that is the parallel passage of Matthew 18 with which he is well acquainted also and mentioned it before. Namely that Christ was speaking to the disciples, not to Peter and the apostles in general. And he said, uh, if any two of you shall agree on anything on earth, it will have been done in heaven. It should bind on earth, bound in heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, the keys of the kingdom were the power to bind and loose. Peter had that power, but it wasn't Peter's power alone. Matthew 18 gives that power to you and to me to pray together that we might bind or loose. Mm -hmm. So uh, I take that to be the alternative proposition. Would you say that the binding and loosing position. is a declaratory power and not one of uh, supremacy? Yeah, I think it's a right to declare something by faith. And I think Peter had that right. But if he was really the supreme pontiff of the church, this is a very strong point, I think. Then the disciples of the apostles, the men who went into the second century, the great theologians of that time, would surely have recognized the primacy of Rome. And they didn't. was really the supreme pontiff of the church. This is a very strong point, I think. Then the disciples of the apostles, the men who went into the second century, the great theologians of that time, would surely have recognized the primacy of Rome. And they didn't. Okay, Father Pak, would you respond to that hypothesis? Why do you think that uh, the evidence of the New Testament does not fit that hypothesis? First of all, you know that when Jesus is speaking in Matthew 18, he's not speaking to the crowds, but to the apostles. Right. And so that, you know, it's not just we who have that same authority, except in a derived sense, but the apostles and their successors, the bishops, along with the successor, Peter, have that authority to make decisions that we don't. For instance, decisions like what goes into the New Testament. That was not made by the New Testament. It was made by the bishops. They chose which books were to be canonical. The lay people didn't do it, except in that secondary sense. The bishops were the ones who were the traditores, that is, the ones who carried on the tradition as to which books derived from Paul, Peter, James, and the others. And then finally, in councils, and a series of councils, you know, decided which ones, we now, we now have the 27. And really, it was not until Pope Damasus I in, you know, in giving authority to the councils of Carthage and Hippo at the end of the 4th century beginning of the 5th so that, that we had the first time 27 books of the New Testament before that we have 22 books so that the authority of the New Testament derives from these bishops and from the Pope to, and that an authority which Protestants you know, continue to accept as, as their own basic authority He's okay, let's, let's get a, a response. There's, there's a severe fallacy in the reasoning. Mm -hmm. In order to establish what you just said, you mm -hmm. must assume that there is a papacy with the power to do that. Yes. Ah, well, I deny the assumption. Yes. So, so, so for me... So it's a fallacy only if I accept your assumption. Right. <laughs> right. Just as it's a fallacy if I accept that's, yours. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, the point so we're stuck. Yes, we're stuck. <laughs> we're, 
we're stuck in one important area that I think we can get out of pretty quickly. Yeah. This is it. At Vatican I, which was the cornerstone of all the power of the contemporary papacy. Now, we know that because it was then at Vatican I, which John just read, mm -hmm. that the statement was clearly defined for the first time mm -hmm. in history sure. that this was the position. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, when that was done at Vatican I, on July 13, 1870, mm -hmm. an argument was raised on the floor, voted on by 18 bishops supporting it. Mm -hmm. And this was what was stated historically, if I may quote it. Well, venerable brethren, history raises its voice to assure us that popes have erred. You may protest against it or deny it as you please. I'll prove it. Pope Victor in 192 first approved of Montanism and then condemned it. Marcellinus was an idolater. He entered the temple of Vesta and offered incense to the goddess. You will say that it was an act of weakness, but I answer a vicar of Jesus Christ dies rather than become an apostate. Liberius consented to the condemnation of Athanasius and made a profession of Arianism that he might be recalled from his exile and reinstated in the Holy See. Honorius adhered to Monothletus. Monolithism. Father Gregory has proved that to demonstration. Gregory I calls anyone Antichrist who takes the name universal bishop. And Boniface III made the patricide emperor Focus confer the title upon him. Pascal II and Eugenius III authorized dueling. Julius II and Pius IV forbid it. Eugenius IV approved the Council of Basel and the reinstitution of the chalice of the Church of Bohemia. Pius II revoked the concession. Hadrian II declared civil marriages to be valid. Pius VII condemned them. Sixtus V published an edition of the Bible and by a bull recommended it to be read. Pius VII condemned the reading of it. Clement XIV abolished the order of the Jesuits. That's you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he died. Universal church, bye-bye, okay? You're out. Permitted by Paul III and Pius VII Put you boys back in business. Right. <laughs> Pope Vigilius purchased the papacy from Belisarius, lieutenant of the Emperor of Justinian. Eugenius III, number four in the original, imitated Vigilius. Bernard, Saint Bernard, the bright star of the Reformation, says, quote, Can you show me in this great city of Rome anyone who would receive you as Pope? if they had not received gold or silver for it, close quote. Sure. Let, let, let me finish this statement, it's yeah. important. You know the history of Formos is too well for me to add to it, but you will tell me these are fables, not history. Fables. Go, Monsignori, to the Vatican Library and read Platina, the historian of the papacy in the annals of Baronius. These are facts which for the honor of the Holy See we would wish to ignore. Cardinal Baronius, speaking of the papal court, said, what did the Roman church appear in those days? How infamous. Only in all powerful courtesans governing in Rome. It was they who gave, exchanged, and took bishoprics. And horrible to relate, got their lovers, the false popes, put on the thrones of St. Peter. Okay, we've got to call, call an end to it here, Walter. We need a, a statement for Father Pacwa here. What do you have to say concerning these things? Well, uh, this is we, by an archbishop, not I me. know, I know, and that's, we don't deny it at all. You know, again, that's the basis on which Dante said some of these folks are going to be in hell. So what, and what, that we, infallibility does not mean justification. No. What I, what I hear you saying is that uh, all the statements that the popes made that are proven wrong, they're mm -hmm. not infallible. Right. And the, also you're They don't saying, meet the three criteria for infallibility. Yeah, and the fact is that uh, in spite of the fact that Peter is supposed to be supreme, not just in the fact of what he said, but supposedly recognized as such, the head of the church, mm -hmm. the leader, when he speaks, they ought to be some respect and listen. 
okay? And you would expect that he would be leading in some other areas as well. We still have yet to establish the fact that you find that in Scripture. You still have yet to uh, discount the fact that the other apostles were given the same ability. You still have yet to discount the fact that Paul, uh, in looking at Peter, never mentions it, never writes to him, uh, mentioning the fact that he's the head of the church, and uh, well, on and on and on. Well, well see, the, the, the problem with your on and on and on is that you, know, you don't accept you know, the, the, the Catholic you know, understanding of, of well, you know, pointing out of all the data where Peter is ahead. As a matter of fact, as, as Dr. Martin himself said, that Peter clearly takes the dynamic leadership of the church after the ascension of Jesus. For, for three chapters, and then he three disappears. Three chapters and chapter 10. But, but in chapter 10, and he's disputing with the people that are there. That's they don't right. show him the honor that you're talking about. No, 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 no. You're the one that keeps on saying that supremacy means that everything you say is going to be honored. I'm not saying that. I'm saying yes, you they are. don't say that. I'm saying the respect. Okay. If the Pope were to walk into the door, he should have the final word in an argument. Why? Who said that? Jesus didn't say that. We what don't say that Jesus supreme did. Supreme means first. First that, word, that last word. That doesn't mean in terms of uh, you know, the way that it's going to be enacted, that he's going to have that. You're defining it as a straw man uh -huh. and then saying we don't have it. We never said that that's what it means. Just define, what it means define is, supreme for me then. When it, what it means is that when he speaks to the whole church in the name of Peter and on faith and morals, that that is infallible. But he's not the head then of the apostles. Uh, uh, he's the head of the church as well in terms of you know, being the, the head of the... What does uh, head mean? How would they recognize it from the examples that are given in Scripture? Well, in terms of the examples in Scripture, his choosing of a, a replacement for Matthias, his being the first one to, uh, to go and lead John to lay hands on the Samaritans. To, so but he was sent confirmed. out by the, the church to do that. Sure. And what, he came what? back and they didn't just accept his word. They argued with him. So? I don't see the, him being the head. Again, his headship does not come from them and their approval. But His headship comes from the fact mm -hmm. that Jesus is the one who revealed oh, to him so now, that so, he should. So what you're saying is that, that the, he should the, be the, so that the church didn't recognize it, but he still had it. Absolutely, because it comes from Christ, not from the church. But that's, but, a, that's one of the reasons why but then it's you're, said to be apostolic yeah. Let, and divinely Let's, let's follow that through. Is that he had it, but they didn't recognize it? Why didn't they recognize it if they were all there? I mean, Jesus never told anybody else. He only told Peter, and Peter never mentioned it. Look, this, in terms of recognizing things, did they recognize the, the existence of the New Testament yet? No. Did they recognize the definition of the Trinity? No. Did they recognize the two natures of Christ? No. In terms of ways that we could talk about today? No. Lots of things they don't recognize. Yeah, but we're and making... It, but over time... Did they recognize that Jesus was God? Yes. Did that go into the Chalcedonian and Nicene councils? Sure. Yes. There's a basis there. I'm saying I don't see any basis. Well, okay. You don't accept, you know, the, the evidence that we accept. Of, I don't see any evidence is what I'm saying. Christ, you don't see that Christ gives Peter this vision no, to go I baptize Cornelius? I see that he got that, and I see Paul got others, and the other apostles got that. So but who now got we got it have, first? We have, huh? Who got it first? Okay. And who got it by vision first? And that's why we would say the keys to the kingdom are the declaratory power which Peter exercised. Yes. And then the other apostles also went and exercised it as well. And that's they, all it means. And we also, no, it's not all that it means. One of the things that also we see develop in the history of the church, just like we see the development of the Christological and Trinitarian doctrines, <coughs> is that Peter's role among the other you know, apostles, because we don't deny that the other bishops, the successors of the College of Apostles, have authority to bind and loose. We don't deny that at all. They do. 
in, in, in local areas, they have authority that the Pope does not have in their diocese. They can make rules in their diocese apart from the Pope. The states can apart from the federal okay, government. Okay, Dr. Martin, we but, need a final word from you here because well, we're out of time. Let me summarize what I hear you saying. Though. You're saying that the church there did not recognize Peter as head. Peter had that headship from Jesus. Right. Okay? It, now, I, I really uh, am amazed that again, you would say that. Well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't say that they didn't recognize the head. There's not that full-blown, you know, you know, kind of description of supremacy and headship that you would like to have us describe, and also that, that happens later on in there. history. Mm -hmm. He has an authority that comes from Jesus, you know, in Matthew 16, Luke 22, and Acts 10. It still has to be proved that that's the kind of authority. We, we agree that it's a declaratory. We see one example of that, and then Peter fades. That's the record. Uh, he fades in terms of the history of the Acts of the Apostles, because Luke, you know, for whatever... If he was the he head has, of the church, you would think that he would actually be the head of... He would be focused on all through Acts. We find three chapters, why? and it turns to Paul. Why would you expect Because that? he's the head of the church. This so? is the key point. He's the, the chief representative, according to Rome, of Jesus Christ on earth. Right, but why would they And he's not going to be mentioned? Why? And it, it, why? Jesus because he is the it. head of the church. If Jesus already said it, why do you have to talk about it all the time? You just do it. Yeah, that's why I keep saying that the appeal of the fathers, the appeal of the fathers, is not to the tradition of the church and not to the arguments that were uh, aroused and carried on vigorously amongst themselves. All of them, when they appeal, it's scriptura sola. They're appealing to Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. And what John's saying, what I'm saying is this. Uh, if you want to believe that the church made the Scripture, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. you have a problem because the kerygma, which was the preaching of the gospel, was not inscripturated uh, totally until the close of the first century. That's, so, no, uh, that's not uh, a problem. Uh, that's uh, a strength yeah, no, of our position. Yeah, well, no, I don't think it is a strength because the fathers reproduce the entire New Testament virtually themselves in the next three centuries. Except the for fathers. Six, except for six verses. With the exception of, pardon? Six verses. So well, that's six verses. That's the fathers. If you had no church supervising mm -hmm. the, through the magisterium, the teaching ministry, the gathering together, mm -hmm. the information, putting it together, you still have the different fathers in different locations all writing, all reproducing mm -hmm. the teachings of the apostles. You put it all together and they knew that they had, from their own specific references, their own teachers, they knew that they had the Gospels right. Mm -hmm. They knew they had the Book of Acts right. Mm -hmm. So they subjected everything to the canon of the Gospels and Acts to test the epistles. Mm -hmm. Now, that's how they arrived at the information. It wasn't somewhere down the line at the year 400, uh, 364.